You're listening to the Pothole Problem Podcast with Jack Miller. Keep up the good work. I would like to make a few comments. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. We see Americans hating each other, fighting each other, killing each other at home. There is a religious war going on in this country. It is a cultural war. This war is for the soul of America. Because of the way this society is organized, you have to expect that there are going to be such explosions. Our side, our side, our side. It is a crisis that strikes in the we are a people in a quandary about the present. We are a people in search of our future. And as we see and hear these things, millions of Americans cry out in anguish. Did we come all this way for this? It all seems a long way from a time when politics was a national passion and sometimes even fun. Attempting on a larger scale to fulfill the promise of America. Three, two, one. We're met here as Americans, not as Democrats or Republicans, to solve that problem. Welcome to the Pothole Problem Podcast, episode 41. I'm your host and producer, Dr. Jack Miller. Thank you for tuning in or downloading or however you get to our show. I want to start by expressing my gratitude for everyone who listens, and especially those of you who email with feedback or thanks or suggestions for future shows. Keep them coming. You can reach me at jack.miller at pdx.edu. That should be pretty easy to remember. jack.miller at pdx.edu. So this was supposed to be an interview episode, but as we all know, life intervenes. What happened is all of my interviewees pushed our sessions to after Thanksgiving, so here I am alone in the studio, no guest, and no alter egos either. No Nigel, Bob, or Catherine. They're on strike. Now, it's not me, I swear. The labor policies here at the Pottle Problem Podcast are solid. The hours and benefits are good, and the wage gap between the highest and lowest paid is exactly zero. My alter egos are striking in sympathy with the Portland Public School teachers, who are now entering the third week of their strike against the Portland Public School System. It's a sympathy strike, pure and simple, and I support their decision to walk out, but it leaves me with no other option than talking into the mic by myself for this episode. So that's what I'm going to do. And I'm sorry if you expected something more than just my voice. I'll do my best to make it interesting as well as dynamic. In the spirit of labor disputes and sympathy strikes and the highly charged emotional atmosphere created by economic insecurity and economic inequality, this episode is going to be an exploration of the emotions surrounding events like teacher strikes. And of course, one of the primary emotions at play is our bread and butter here at The Pothole Problem, outrage. Maybe the teacher strike has been resolved by the time you're listening to this. I certainly hope it is. But I think it's worthwhile for me to examine the way this strike is playing out in people's lives, whenever it is that you're listening. It could be a good lesson, I think, in what generates outrage and how we might actually navigate it. I want to acknowledge here right at the beginning how many viewpoints there are at play when teachers go on strike. The people who feel outrage include those who think public school teachers deserve better pay and better support, those who worry about the negative impact of the strike on kids' learning and mental health, Those who blame the school district for under-resourcing schools and teachers. Those who think unions have too little power. And those who think unions have too much power. Those who think schools are wastefully inefficient. People who know teachers they think should be fired but are protected. People with no kids who hate taxes that pay for things they don't use. People outraged by taxpayers unwilling to fund schools sufficiently. People who think teachers should be grateful for summers off. People who think school administrators are paid too much. People frustrated by both sides in the strike. And then there are people who are outraged by those who aren't outraged. There is, as always, plenty of outrage to go around. 
And all that said, a teacher strike is a great example of not just something that raises strong emotions in a lot of people, but that does so in a way that can be quite complex for the individuals going through it. A lot of parents, for example, support better pay and better support for teachers. They know better than anyone but the teachers themselves what a hard, grinding, draining job K-12 public school teaching can be. Though many parents have also experienced bad teachers who can't be fired, so teacher protections, which unions are committed to maintaining for all members as a basic job security need, undermines the support that many parents feel for the teachers' union. Parents also worry that a teacher strike hurts their kids, and of course, many parents are now on the hook for daycare they're not financially, pragmatically, or emotionally prepared to provide during the regular school year. So they're against the teachers using their kids as pawns in the game as leverage. While the teachers, who know the harm to kids just as well as the parents, maybe better, probably better, they might feel like the kids are also their only leverage in this labor dispute. So they're using it not because they really want to, but because the only other option is caving into an agreement that harms them and their families, as well as their ability to continue doing good work in the classroom if they don't get the resources and support they need. I doubt many teachers are happy about the impact this is having on the kids, who will eventually come schlepping back into their classrooms. It should be noted the school district is also using the kids as leverage. The harm that parents see puts pressure on the teachers to accept a deal. And insofar as parents see that it's true that both sides are using their children as leverage, they might have mixed feelings. Villains on both sides of the issue kind of thing. And that's only part of the complexity. The parts directly related to what the teachers are asking for and what the district can or is willing to offer. The direct daily consequences of school closures on kids and parents. There are all kinds of other issues connected to the strike. Among them are feelings that administrative costs are bloated, that there are too many administrators making too much money, money that could be used to support teachers better. And while we're talking about money, there's property taxes that fund schools, which can definitely be a pinch on housing costs, and in some cases may price people out of the homes they've lived in for years and push them into different neighborhoods where their kids will have to go to different schools. And there are always people who hate taxes, no matter what they're for, and the people who hate the people who hate taxes, and the complex policy issues of school budgeting and state support for education, and the economic disparities caused by having a public-private education system in the first place, and the fear that schools at all levels aren't an avenue of social and economic mobility. I could go on, but I think you get the picture. So I don't blame anyone for having strong, mixed, potentially crippling feelings about all of this. It would be surprising if there weren't powerful emotions swirling around something like a multi-week teacher strike against a major metropolitan school system. Okay, so that's the situation. If you want to pause now and just kind of breathe and drink in what I've said and imagine whether you have a stake in this or not, what it must feel like to be a parent, a teacher, an administrator, a citizen in Portland right now entering the third week of a potentially very long teacher strike. Before I talk about how we might handle these powerful emotions in ourselves and others, I should do my disclosures. I've got skin in this game. I'm a parent of a Portland Public School student who's been out of class since November 1st. And I'm a teacher myself, a member of a higher ed union, as well as a taxpayer and citizen in Portland and Oregon. I'm arguably a member of the working class as well. I'm certainly sympathetic to the working class cause and concerned about widening economic inequality in America on just general principles. I'm also very much enmeshed in the difficulties of resourcing schools. I personally spent a lot of time helping to raise money for my kids' schools just to keep basic elements of their education sufficiently funded, and I know how much our schools struggle to harness parent energy in a sustainable way. I felt it. It was hard. Like a lot of people, I'm situated in a variety of ways in relation to the strike, to the schools, to school funding, to pay equity, society's commitment to public services, etc. And I have a lot of different feelings about what's going on with this strike and with the American labor movement in general. Okay, with all of that laid out, it's now time for our sponsorship message.
Do you sound like this? Instead of like this, I am very pleased to make your acquaintance. You may have a rare condition known as loqui restromitis. Until now, there was nothing you could do about it. But scientists at Fixtick Laboratories have made a revolutionary breakthrough. Introducing Exequali. Whenever you're about to speak backwards, Exequali reconfigures the muscular response of the larynx, forcing the words to come out forward. So don't sound like this. Sound like this. I am very pleased to make your acquaintance. With Exequali. Side effects include loud burping, excessive mucus production, rashy armpits, dry eyeballs, light sensitivity, fear of the dark, inappropriate farting, loss of appetite, excessive appetite, accelerated digestion, constipation, sudden diarrhea, inflamed nostrils, fits of rage, walking sideways, uncontrollable hiccups, frequent salivating, rapid beard development, melancholy, hyperventilation, severe blinking, sharpening of the toenails, brittle bones, pancreatic abrasions, clumpy hair loss, enlarged ears, itchy sternum, reduced IQ, sporadic euphoria, and swollen feet. Ask your doctor if Exequali is right for you. So yeah, okay, that's a joke. Exequali isn't a real drug, and as far as I know, loquor restromitis isn't a real disorder. I played that spot, which my son Zane and I made a long time ago, for a little comic relief, but also as a way to get me talking about relief, comic or otherwise. I'm a big proponent of meditation as a way of metabolizing hard emotions and staying serene in my day-to-day life, especially when there's outrage swirling all around me and within me. I think meditation is an amazing ancient technology for doing this, but we have all kinds of other technologies, ancient and modern, some of them good for us, some not so good, some only good depending on how we use them. So what I want to do with the rest of this episode is talk a little bit about a few of the things that I think are useful in managing powerful emotions and difficult situations, complex situations, especially when we have all kinds of different viewpoints and different perspectives, and we feel that there's this swirling sense of, I don't even know how to think about this. I think the teacher strike for a lot of people is exactly that kind of situation. Humor is a big one, and I think it's a really powerful one. I am a big proponent of using humor as a technology for lightening the mood, as well as for sort of poking at some of the things that make complex issues hard. I really do think that things like Saturday Night Live and The Daily Show are good for the American political discourse. They give us an opportunity to look at the absurdity of politics as an absurd thing. The frustrating sides, which are inevitable in any kind of complex society with a lot of diverse viewpoints and people who don't think other people are doing and saying the right things, politics that can sometimes look completely asinine to outsiders and even to insiders. Humor is a really good way, actually, not only of sort of lightening the mood, but of bringing people together in a way that is much lower emotional stakes. It also just feels really good to laugh, and there's a lot of research on the mental health benefits of comedy and laughter and the stress reduction effects that come with actually just allowing yourself to feel humor, to engage in humor, to tell jokes, to listen to jokes, and to laugh. So humor is something that I recommend. I I actually use it a lot in the classroom. I hope not too inappropriately, but it feels good to make students laugh, not just because it gives me an ego boost, which I think it does, of course, but also because I think that it creates in the classroom, which can sometimes be a very heavy environment. I teach a lot of challenging classes that address difficult questions in politics, inequality, democratic decline. I, I won't even go into the full range of things that I discuss in the classroom, but I think that humor is a really powerful tool there. And I think it's a powerful tool everywhere. So I recommend laughter. I recommend watching stand-up comedy. I recommend getting together with friends and family and feeling free to tell jokes and to make light of things. I try never to be insulted when people mock or make light of things that I feel strongly about because I think it's actually a good way to lighten the mood and to feel better and to connect with people. Humor is a great thing. 
A lot of these organizations that are into preserving the environment, they go a little bit too far. A little bit. I mean, I'm with, like Peter, people for the ethical treatment of animals, for example. I'm with them on most of the things they do. But there is one thing that they're against that I cannot get down with no matter what. Because I think it's one of the most beautiful things on the planet. And Peter wants to get rid of it completely. And that thing is monkeys dressed like cowboys <laughs> riding around on dogs and their horses. It's beauty. If you haven't seen it, by the way, go home right after this at YouTube. If you have shit to do tomorrow, cancel it. It's not happening. You're not going to make it. Just order pizza, peanut Gatorade bottle. so half of my belly doesn't stick out. Like my fat's winking at people like... Ah! Nobody's ever thrown a bucket of blood on a girl who wouldn't fuck me. That's never happened. Ever. You want to know what I do? I suck it up, I move on with my life. Suck it up, monkey, put your hat on, you're going for a ride. from your job and you're walking home and you'll get a phone call and it's your partner breaking up with you leaving you for another person and a car drives by date you down the street hits a puddle and splashes you with a bit of, like disgusting dirty street garbage water you know then like the next thing that comes down that street is a monkey dressed like a cowboy in the back of the car. You're having a great day. <laughs> Are you ready? I think another really powerful technology is active listening. And I'm using the word technology in kind of a bizarre way here, I think, because most people hear the word technology and they think about electronics, they think about devices, they think about communication and cars and transportation and machinery. To me, those are all types of technology. But my view on technology is that technologies are things that humans have come up with to make life easier for themselves in some way or another. A lot of technologies are productive, right? Like we figured out how to till the earth more effectively, or we figured out how to get across large distances much more quickly and easily. But methods of interacting with the world are also technologies. Crop rotation doesn't need actually a plow. Crop rotation is just a way of relating to when and where you plant seeds. Crop rotation was a very transformative technology in human history. Meditation, as I mentioned earlier, is a very profoundly impactful technology. It's something humans came up with to make it easier to deal with the suffering and difficulties of life and with the noise that our brains produce for us in any kind of situation, but particularly in a very media and technology heavy modern civilization. Active listening is another one of those technologies because active listening is not just hearing what people are saying. 
Active listening, and I'm probably going to butcher this for people who are actually experts in active listening, and there are all kinds of good books, and there's podcasts, and there's blogs about this. So I would recommend that if you find active listening to be something that you're interested in, follow up on the internet with resources that are available there. But I will just say that to me, active listening is hearing, and as you're hearing, one, taking in what the person is saying and really trying to understand it from their perspective. And two, and this is the hardest part for a lot of people, it's absolutely the hardest part for me. You're not formulating your response while you're listening. You're actively listening, and to actively listen, you have to actively push away other things that your brain is going to want to do. Mind wandering, okay, that's natural because you have to focus on what people are saying, and sometimes, especially when it's difficult, or they're saying things that you don't agree with, or they're saying hard truths about the situation you have, like in a relationship discussion, your mind might just want to wander away from it. But also, it's very, very natural to want to begin formulating your response so that when it's your turn to talk, and maybe you take your turn to talk soon by interrupting the person, when it's your turn to talk, you're ready to say what you're going to say in response to that. That is a very difficult thing not to do without a lot of practice and actually without also engaging with discussion partners who you tell like, hey, if, if I seem like I'm not listening to what you're saying, but I'm just formulating my response before you're done, point that out to me. I know that this is a challenging one because I have a lot of challenges with it myself, but I know that when I do practice active listening, I hear things in what people are saying that I wouldn't have heard otherwise. And when I respond, because active listening doesn't mean that you don't then get your turn to respond, but when I respond, I now have given myself the space to really essentially roll around in what that person has said to see it from their point of view. What I then say back will be potentially quite different. One of the things that active listening can produce in people is to say, huh, I never saw it that way or wow, I really learned something new there. Now, you don't necessarily have to then follow that up with, oh, and I agree with you or, oh, I think that you have the right viewpoint on this because you can say, I never thought of it that way before, or I learned something new there and then say, okay, so now I'm thinking about it and I still don't agree with you. Or I still think that my opinion or my viewpoint or the policy I support is the right one. But I will tell you that when this is done in good faith and when it's actually done sort of slowly and reflectively, as opposed to having a rapid fire discussion or conversation or argument, it really produces a different outcome, not just in your own brain, but in the interaction with other people. Active listening promotes, in my experience, and the literature bears this out, a much better form of discussion. It actually promotes discussion and deliberation as opposed to argumentation. We do live in an argument-saturated world. The online space is largely argument back and forth. People are keyed to have opinions on things and to support those opinions with arguments. It is not something we need training in, arguing. What we do need training in is how to listen, discuss, deliberate. That doesn't mean there aren't gonna be hard emotions in the conversation. It just means that there's gonna be space for us to respond to our hard emotions instead of react to them. And in my experience, that's a tremendously powerful difference between reacting and responding. The 
final thing I want to talk about is communication technology, because this is a very familiar technology, of course. It's a double-edged sword. And what I would say, use communication technology wisely. It can do really great things for us. Communication technology can connect us with people we're not geographically proximate to. It can give us access to information and ideas and perspectives we wouldn't otherwise have in our walking around daily lives. But we also know that it can be an outrage amplifying machine, that we can doom scroll, we can get into our silos where all we hear are ideas that appeal to us and that go along with what we already believe. And then when we hear people who disagree with us, it amplifies our outrage that someone could think something different. We know the problem with doom scrolling, siloing, online things like trolling and flaming. It's potentially very, very unhealthy. But like any other technology, it can be used in a healthy way. My recommendation is find a way to have a healthy media diet. Think of your media consumption the same way you think of your food consumption. And, you know, of course, food consumption, we often have an unhealthy diet, but we know what a healthy diet is. We know that we should be eating more leafy greens. We know we should be cutting down on meat and sugar and alcohol. We know what a healthy nutritional diet is. And it's challenging, of course, to live into that. But we know what it is. A healthy media diet is not necessarily something we know what that is. My recommendation for a healthy media diet is usually to people to consume less. Consume less information. And don't feel guilty about consuming non-information. Don't feel guilty about binging those Netflix shows. Don't feel guilty about what a lot of people actually call guilty pleasures. Those, like humor, can help lighten our mood, reduce our stress. They also keep us away from the doom scrolling. I recommend less than two hours a day of consuming political media. And when you confine yourself to less than two hours, what you're going to need to do is find a couple of reliable sources that you feel like you can get all of the information you need and that you can get the most reliable objective information. Reading mainstream sources, finding people who talk about things from the most neutral point of view, that will power down the outrage machine that is available through all of these communication technologies. You know what I'm talking about. I don't have to name names or tell anybody what is powering up their emotions and what sources are probably powering down their emotions. And I certainly wouldn't want to dictate anybody's media diet. I'm basically just trying to give kind of broad-based advice. These are all topics that I know that I could go on and on about, and that is not my intention. My intention really is to just drop a few seeds in the ground and water them and walk away. I hope this has been helpful, not just for people suffering through powerful emotions around the Portland teacher strike, but for everybody. We all run into complex issues, conflicting emotions, other people who have outrage, our outrage about other people's outrage. This is just something that's pretty universal in the world today. We're bound to get bombarded by outrage and other negative emotions from time to time. It's how we evolved. It's how our evolutionary hardwiring has positioned us in relation to the world that we've created for ourselves. So we will always have to deal with and navigate this issue.
I'm going to end today's episode by playing a song that was produced by one of my students for a class that is a very emotionally challenging class. It's a class on inequality and the stickiness of power structures, particularly class, race, and patriarchy. Hard class. And one of the assignments was to produce something that you want future generations to hear to give them a sense of how you see these power structures. I'm going to thank Isaiah Johnson for this song, and I'm now just going to play it. Appreciate you listening. Yeah. Sad boy juice. Uh, this is closing. I said, man, this shit ain't democratic. Congress looking geriatric, systematic. How we really working at it to the coffin all in. Can't you see deceit? Locked up in your feet, divide and conquer, that's their strategy For the green they need, created white and black, and never went back Cast systems of separation in a nation, oops I'm an abomination That a nation, abomination of innocent beings Profits for the Europeans, European if we don't see that race is just a fallacy to divide you and me up in this matrix But I swear I gotta change it There's a price to pay for the complacency The wait and see, bring progress latency So much pain and apathy, feeding off the tragedy Cause fair divide the masses, see Costly casualties caused by corporate master schemes Fuck DeSantis in his dances Cloud ruled by ringleaders Coke brothers in the bleachers Funding Florida state teachers and think tanks Just to get big banks, mindsets of they can pay less taxes Fat asses eating off the backs of our labor Vamps for that pay to play I'm trying to make a way I'm trying to make a way Want they greenbacks, fast track stocks like the Nasdaqs, fat backs, making cuts like halfbacks. There's a class tax if you ain't on the top. No write offs, some high off the blood of the rich. Bleed them, let them drench, nourish in the trench. We all struggling in this bitch, we struggling in this bitch. Yeah. This is for the daily struggle, daily hustle, rat race, fast pace, working till you're dead. Kill the dreams up in your head, replace them with the visions of submission to the system. Servile working lies for little pay, little lay a trap for the day-to-day survival mindset. So you don't die yet, suck it up, don't cry yet, yeah, cause the pain get worse, yeah, the pain get worse. Yeah, the pain get worse. Inflation got a dollar week, gas staging gouging me. Politicians proud to be paid for, but never pay it forward. No word to say, boy, you snakes, Draco Mayfoy. Stealing from the bottom, a system in for businesses, not busy men. Nature I'm confiding in. But lately I've been working in my garden, a flower I found garden. Complex system, sacred geometry. It's kinda hard for me to buy the bullshit when you connected to the source. Of course, I'm torn between the eating and feeding and breeding to cover dark sides of me. Cancer in the cereal, cancer in the Cheerios, cancer in the fruit snacks, cancer in the fishies, cancer in the candies. Red 40 is a mystery, carcinogens in the chicken sandwiches. Damn it, kid, I can't eat shit. There's cancer in the beef, just from the heat, naturally occurring. Man, man, I'm trying to make a way. I'm trying to make.
billionaires, tech billionaires They don't really care, they just want their greenbacks Fast track stocks like the Nasdaqs Fatbacks making cuts like halfbacks There's a class tax if you ain't on the top No write-offs, I'm high off the blood of the rich Bleed them, let them drench, nourish in the trench We all struggling in this bitch, we struggling in this bitch Yeah